Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 4. I know that last week we, we did what is called a topical study, even though we read these very same verses. And the topical study had to do with the uh, dangers and uh, understanding and origins of, of Halloween, since that uh, seemed to have passed uh, this past week. Uh, but there are two types of studies that we do here. Mostly we do what is called expositional studies which is what we do both on Monday, I'm sorry, on Sundays and on, on uh, Wednesdays, uh, is that we teach the Word of God. We teach it uh, verse by verse, word for word, uh, cover to cover, Genesis to Revelation. It's important that we know and, and learn God's Word in that manner. Exposition means to expose, to bring forth the truth that's in it. We oftentimes dig very deep, as we have in the book of Colossians for the truths that we find in them. So that's why we're coming back to it, because now we go from the topical to the expositional. And today we're going to be focused on this phrase, if ye then be risen with Christ, the very first phrase of verse 1. Let me read it to you. And, uh, well, let me read it to you. <laughs> I like to get in too, 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 much, too deep into my own thoughts here. So, let's read verses 1 through 4. If ye then be risen with Christ. Now, that verse or word, if, is very transitional. But we'll notice where the connection is going to be. If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affection on things above, not <clears throat> on things <clears throat> on the earth. For ye are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall ye also appear with him in glory. One thing that we have learned in our study of the book of Colossians is an expansive view of who Jesus Christ is. Jesus Christ is superior. This, this book focuses on the superiority of Jesus Christ, primarily in chapter 1, but it extends throughout the whole of the book. We consider the sufficiency of Christ, how sufficient Jesus is, in that we don't need anything or anyone else. We only need Jesus. We consider the sovereignty of Christ. The very fact that he is not only the Son of God, but he is God the Son. That he is, in fact, the one who created the heavens and the earth. Paul makes that very clear. Paul established the doctrine of Jesus Christ in the first chapter of this letter. But he also encouraged us in one very important point, and that is in the resurrection of Jesus. And let me say this, that if there is anything that has changed everything for both the world and the believer in Jesus Christ, it can only be one thing, and that is Jesus' resurrection from the dead. That has changed it all for the whole world. The demonic apostate cult of Gnosticism, which has been Paul's focus in chapter 2, 
has nothing even close to compare with the resurrection of Jesus. Nothing. But that applies to every other religion in the world. That applies to every other belief system and every other philosophy in this world. Nothing compares to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Whether in the time of the Apostle Paul or in our day and an age as we await the soon return of our Lord and Savior, there has been no religious activity or extraordinary deeds of self-denial, not to mention no philosophical intellectualism or elevated form of mysticism that can even hold a candle to the power of the one true God over sin and over death and over hell and over the devil. Not one thing. Not one thing that man can do for himself. It doesn't measure up. Not one thing that, a reli- that, that any kind of religion can do to save anyone. Only the power of God through our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. His person, His work. Nothing can even compare. And what we have before us is one of the great passages of Scripture, one that believers often turn to in in seeking a deeper and a more committed walk with the Lord. It truly is the basis of the believer's new life, a life that is risen with Christ. It is significant that, that God the Father loves His Son, Jesus Christ, and loves Him with an eternal and a perfect love. And therefore, when a person believes and truly surrenders their life to Jesus Christ, the Lord forgives their sins, and that person is accepted in Christ. Identifying the person with Christ in his death and resurrection, he he considers the person as having died and risen with Christ. That's how God sees us who are believers. He considers us as having died and risen with Christ. Now, of course, the new believer was, was not bodily present, And neither were any of us. But the new believer was not bodily present when Jesus died and arose. Yet, nonetheless, the Lord considers that new believer to have been there. Just as he considered us to have been there. He reckons it. He credits it. And he counts it so. And he does what he does because our faith in the risen Christ focuses upon and honors his son. Our Lord and Savior. And because it honors his son, he counts our faith and belief as the real thing. In other words, our faith is to be authentic. It is genuine. It is true. And it is real. And if anyone knows that, it's God himself. Listen, there are some people that can trick you into making you believe that they're, they're true believers. But you can't, you can't fool God. You can't fool the Father. You can't, fool, you can't fool Jesus. You can't fool the Holy Spirit. So what this all means is that we are in union. As believers, we are in union with Christ. It means that we are identified with Christ. It means our faith in Christ has placed us in Christ. And therefore, whatever Jesus experienced, we experienced. When he rose from the dead, we rose with him. His resurrection means that we have risen with him, that we have conquered death, that we are raised to a new life. 
that our old life in this sinful world is over. It no longer has a claim on us. We, we are, as stated, raised to a newness of life. A newness of life. It means that we are walking in newness of life, living a life that is dead to sin, but alive to God. Now, folks, I'm putting out a lot of markers out here for you. Markers that we need to check each and every day of our lives as believers. Markers that help us to examine ourselves to see that we're in the faith. So that when we come together, like on today, when we come to the table of communion, that we can say, truly say with the Lord, having the bread and the cup in our hand, that we know what they represent, what that means to us, what it meant, what it meant to our new life in Christ. The old passed away. Behold, all things have become new. So we are alive to God, but we are alive to God in righteousness and holiness. And remember, it is not our righteousness, but the righteousness of Christ by which we are clothed. I want you to consider Paul's statement in Romans chapter 8, verses 10 and 11, when he said, and if Christ be in you, Now, please understand that this is a very important aspect of of, of the Christian faith, that Christ is in us. As a matter of fact, we saw back in chapter 1, verse 27, that Christ is in us, the hope of glory. But he is in us as earthen vessels, as we'll see in just a moment. But here it is. And if Christ be in you, the body is dead because of sin. But the spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken or make alive your mortal bodies by his spirit that dwelleth in you. Remember that before you came to know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you were dead spiritually. You were very much alive physically. And certainly you had some mental assent to things. In other words, you had a, a, a kind of a mind-soul thing, you know, where you were able to discern certain things in your minds. But in fact, your spiritual heart, your spiritual life was dead. This is why it's so important to look at what it says in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1, where Paul says, And you has he quickened or made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins. You were dead in trespasses. You were spiritually dead in sins. And I know that verses 2 through 5 are very important, but jump down to verse 6 where it says, and it, because I want, I want you to see the tie here. You, he has quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins and has raised us up together and made us sit in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. And I want you to know that Paul, uh, I want you to notice that Paul is using a present tense here when he says he has made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. The moment we come to know Christ as our Lord and Savior, we are now in heavenly places in Christ. And so when we come back to Colossians chapter 2, verse 13, for just a moment, notice what it says. And again, this is review, but notice what it says. Paul says, and you being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, has he quickened together? What does it mean? Made you alive. Made you alive together with him. 
having forgiven you all trespasses. That could use a really hearty amen. <laughs> that wasn't hearty. All right. Having forgiven you all trespasses. Amen. Yeah, praise the Lord. Has, has it not affected your eternal life? Okay. So it cannot be said any clearer in any language that this is a radical change. This is a revolutionary transformation that has taken place on every person who has come to believe in Jesus Christ. All that said now, the believer's life is a life that seeks the things which are above. That is the things that are in heaven, where Christ is. Verse 1 once again, verse uh, chapter 3. If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above. Where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Now, the Apostle Paul, after the lengthy exposition in chapter 2, that began with verse 13 and ends in verse 23 at the end of the chapter, where he shows us what Christianity is not, tells very clearly what it isn't. When he has to go over things like uh, the law in, in verse 14, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances, uh, ordinances that was against us, uh, spoiled principalities and powers, verse 15. Verse 16, not letting any man therefore judge us in meat or drink or in any respect of, holy, of days, uh, because they're just shadows of things. We're not to let any person beguile us or, or cheat us out of our reward. Uh, all of those things is, is, is not what Christianity truly is. So after that particular lengthy exposition where he shows us what Christianity is not, he returns his attention to applying the truth that he was teaching in chapter 2, verse 12. So look at chapter 2, verse 12, where it said, and notice this, buried with him in baptism, wherein also you are risen with him through the faith of the operation of God who has raised him from the dead. Then he goes into that exposition. And then this is what he says in verse 1. If ye then be risen with Christ. Do you see the connection here? Buried with him in baptism, wherein also you are risen with him through the faith of the operation of God who has raised him from the dead. If you then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. What we have to be concerned about here is that the exposition of verses 13 through 23 was a warning against any and all false systems that try to rob the believer of the great truth of unity with Christ in death and resurrection. In other words, what Gnosticism does, what other religions try to do, is to say there is no connection really with, our, with the death and burial of Jesus Christ. We can rise far above that. We can follow these particular laws, do, do the circumcision, do these other things. But their whole purpose is to draw our attention away from the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, which he himself has identified with us and us with, with it and them. You see, the Gnosticism of Paul's time. And the new age spirituality of our day 
have at their core the deception that man is, and listen carefully, that man is to awaken to the God and Christ within. Did you get that? I want to say that again because I don't want you to miss this. The Gnosticism of Paul's time and the New Age spirituality of our day have at their core the deception that man is to awaken to the God and Christ within. The very religious philosophy that Oprah Winfrey has been promoting for the better part of 32 years on her television show and internet website. Now, you might like Oprah. I don't. I'll tell you why. And I, and I say all of this with due respect. I, I want you to understand. I'm here to attack a person, but you know what? When she opens her mouth, we need to listen very carefully to what she's saying. Because she's deceiving a lot of people. When asked how she reconciled her New Age teachings with her Christian beliefs. And by the way, you know, it's, it's, it's written and, and documented in a number of places. But she, uh, she says that she resents being called a New Age person. But that she's really a Christian. Okay, so with that in mind. When asked how she reconciled her New Age teachings with her Christian beliefs. Oprah replied this. She said... I've reconciled it because I was able to open my mind about the absolute indescribable hugeness of that which we call God. I took God out of the box because I grew up in the Baptist church and and there were, you know, rules and, you know, belief systems in doctrine. And, you know, it's been a journey to get to the place where I understand that what I believe is that Jesus came to show us Christ consciousness. Jesus came to show us the way of the heart. To show us the higher consciousness that we're talking about here. She has had some of the biggest names in the New Age movement that is infiltrating the church even to this day. People like uh, uh, Neil, uh, Donald Neil, or Neil Donald Walsh and, and Eckhart Tolle. She did one year of a class on her XM radio station featuring Marianne Williamson who wrote uh, A Course in Miracles. A whole year of that, which is all of this that I just quoted to you, year-round to every listener, of the God within. Mary Ann Williamson, who, by the way, is running for president, uh, has degraded, denigrated the cross. Says there's no power in the cross. It isn't about the cross of Jesus, but it is about the Christ inside of you, or the Christ within you. The fact that you are a divine yourself. Okay, that's what all of that is. And so it's put in this really pretty cover so that people can really buy it, you know, and accept it as something that's, that's a, good, a, 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 a good alternative, if you will. But we all know where the seed of this idea was planted in the mind of man. I probably don't even have to tell you. 
Genesis chapter 3, verse 5, where the serpent says, For God doth know that in the day you eat thereof, which is, of course, eat the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, then your eyes shall be open and you shall be as gods. You see that? You shall be as gods. That phrase there is, is very clear in the Hebrew that you are to be as God himself. So you are little gods. Knowing good and evil. You are to be gods. I shudder every time I hear word of faith preachers that tell us the very same thing. That the scriptures tell us that we are to be little gods. Well, I object to that because, first of all, I don't want to be a little god. I know I'm not. And by the way, the scripture doesn't tell us that. It is a perversion of the scripture to say that. That tells us they don't understand the word of God. They don't really understand what is being said in the scriptures. But they use it for their purposes. Paul in 1 Timothy 4 verse 1 says, Now the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter time some shall depart from the faith. This is departing from the faith. This is departing from the true faith. To what? Giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of demons or devils. Doctrines of devils, seducing spirits. What are those things? You will be as gods. They're shouting this from the mountaintops. Without realizing that every time God uses the word Elohim for both people and entities, it's always to judge them. Always to judge them. So let's make it very clear right now. There is only one God. And none of us on this earth are Him. Now we can go, uh, we can have a long list, but let me give you just a few references that you need to see and know. Psalm 9 verse 20. Psalm 9 verse 20 says, Put them in fear, O Lord, that the nations may know themselves to be but men. Wow, that's pretty clear to me. What about Psalm 39 verse 5? I, I, I made reference to this a little bit and speaking about Mark today. I said, Behold, thou hast made my days as a handbreadth, and mine age is nothing before thee. Verily, every man at his best state is altogether vanity. Every person under the sun who is not one who believes and trusts in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is just vanity. Worthless. Life comes and goes. That doesn't say much for a person who calls himself a god. Or has divinity. What about Isaiah 46 verses 8 through 10? Where it says in verse 8, remember this and show yourselves men. I love that statement. Show yourselves men. Because that's what you are. Bring it again to mind, oh, you transgressors. Oh, by the way, he's calling them sinners. What have they transgressed? They've transgressed who they say they are. Then he says in verse 9, remember the former things of old. For I am God, and there is none else. 
I am God and there is none like me. Declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times of things that are not yet done, saying, my counsel shall stand and I will do all my pleasure. So you can say that when you're God. And God can say that clearly and purely. Because only God can declare the beginning from the end and the end from the beginning. Why? Because he has seen it all. In his eternal perspective, he has seen the beginning and end for each and every one of us. Most of us here have an idea, a little idea of what we're doing tomorrow. Because we have our phones, we have our computers, we have our calendars, and we put things down. I've got to do this and that tomorrow. But remember this, tomorrow might never come. And we don't know that, but God does. That's what makes God God and us not. Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 verses 3 through 7 says, But if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost, in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. For we preach not ourselves. Take that little phrase. For we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord. Well, if we were in some way, or in some respect, a God ourselves, wouldn't we want to preach ourselves? Isn't this what Gnostic heresies, uh, heretics do? They preach themselves? You ever seen those guys that get on, uh, you know, on, on DVD sets and, and TV sometimes, you know, and they walk around, they got the microphone and everybody's yelling and cheering and, you know, Anthony Robbins and all of that kind of stuff, you know, uh, improving of self. They all believe this stuff. They all believe that they're gods. So when they use examples, they use examples of themselves. Look at what I did. You watch YouTube long enough, you get all these advertisements. Hey, listen just a little bit longer, and I'll tell you, well, you can make yourself into some great thing. Because look at me. It's all about self, isn't it? But Paul says, we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves, your servants, for Jesus' sake. For God, who commanded, commanded the light to shine out of darkness has shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Now he says, but we have this treasure in earthen vessels. You know what an earthen vessel is? It's a clay pot. All of you are looking at a clay pot, and I'm looking at a bunch of clay pots out here. Not crack pots, clay pots, but clay pots can sometimes crack. So what is he saying? We should know who we are. We have this treasure in earthen vessels, the little lamp 
that had a little oil and a little wick and they'd light it. That was their light. That was their light. A vessel. Wasn't much bigger than the hand. That's who we are. We have this treasure in earthen vessels that that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. Amen? And then think of this, and I love this verse, uh, Paul in Galatians 6 verse 3 says, For if a man think himself to be something, when he is nothing, he deceiveth himself. Period. The end. You see, what made the heretical Gnostic conspiracy so dangerous was that it came close at times to the truth. That's why it's so easy for Satan to twist the scriptures as he does. Because there's always a little bit of truth. But God called us to be discerning. To test the spirits, to see that they're of God. And we have the word of God to help us to see that. If it doesn't match up to his word, then we ought to avoid it. Take for example, when we talk about coming close at times to the truth... What did Paul talk about in, in, the, in, in the first couple of chapters? Actually, in the second chapter. He talked about circumcision. Well, circumcision was required, wasn't it? Circumcision was required in Old Testament times. And primarily to the Jewish people. What about rules and regulations? Rules and regulations were commanded. But it was, they were commended under Mosaic law, which was also given to the Jewish people. And then again, it was given, for the most part, to us. But as we studied very specifically, not the Sabbath law, but for us to understand it. What about principalities and powers? being mighty and of great fearful malice. Do they exist? Of course they exist. But they serve the enemy, Satan. They serve Satan. When Gnostic heresies and heretics look into uh, the worship of angels and the activities of, of, of angels, they, they look at it from the standpoint of being good for everybody. And primarily what they're looking at are all of the false Angels, or the fallen angels, I should say. And they build them up. And what about myriads of angels? Do they exist? Of course they exist. But the problem is that the Gnostics wanted you to call upon them, to worship them, to, to consider them, to venerate them. But, help, but, but, but folks, they are not to be petitioned in any sort of prayer. Never do we find that in Scripture. That angels are to, be, are to be petitioned for in prayer. One thing we know as believers in Jesus Christ, it is very clear throughout all of the New Testament, of course, but it's also very clear in the Old Testament, and that is, we pray to God. As believers, we pray to God the Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, 
by the power of the Holy Spirit. This is how we are to pray. Anything outside of that or, or petitioning any, anything else or anyone else or any other entity is, is, is heresy. And what we're told in Scripture about angels is this. In Hebrews 1, verse 14, Are they not all ministering spirits? Send forth to minister for them who shall be heirs of salvation. That comes from God's directives, not ours. There are times when we entertain strangers unawares. We entertain angels unawares as strangers. God knows. But it isn't for us to delve into these mystical operations of the worship of angels. The strength of what Paul is saying about the resurrected life is due to the resurrection being a fact of sound theology. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 verse 12 says this, and down through verse 19, Paul said, Now if Christ be preached that he rose from the dead, how say some among you that there is no resurrection of the dead? Now I want you to follow Paul very carefully here because he is giving a very reasonable and rational explanation. Paul, Paul was a, an incredible mind as, a, as, a, uh, uh, as a, a Jewish Pharisee when he was Saul of Tarsus. He was well read in the philosophers. He was well, well read in the things of, 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 uh, of religions and, and, and philosophies. So what he's doing here is presenting an argument that uh, cannot be at the end, questioned. Certainly that uh, it helps to have the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. So he says, now if Christ be preached that he rose from the dead, I'll say some among you that there is no resurrection of the dead. But if there be no resurrection of the dead, then is Christ not risen? If there's no resurrection, then Christ isn't risen. And if Christ be not risen, then is our preaching vain? We're just wasting our time, he says. And your faith is also in vain, if there's no resurrection from the dead. Yea, and we are found false witnesses of God, because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ, whom he raised not up, if so be that the dead rise not. For if the dead rise not, then is not Christ raised. Now notice what he says, and if Christ be not raised, your faith is vain Ye are yet in your sins. You are in a lot of trouble if Christ isn't risen from the dead. And then they also which are fallen asleep in Christ are perished. All those loved ones of yours who have gone on that you would hope are with God today and with Christ. If Christ isn't risen, they're lost. And then he says, if in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserable. If we come to church week in and week out, fulfilling some sort of personal obligation, if we only come, we sing a few songs, we hear the word, maybe take a little nap along the way, Wake up in time to exit with everybody else, you know, when, when all of that happens. And you go on and you live the rest of your week uh, just serving yourself and, and not doing much of anything else spiritually. Then you're of all men most miserable. 
If you don't come through those doors knowing that Jesus Christ is alive, knowing that he's risen from the dead, knowing that he's coming again, knowing that he loves you with an everlasting love, folks, there is no life at all. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, if it's only about today and gone tomorrow, then that's a miserable life to live. We have more than that. We have Jesus. And we'll always have Jesus. Because he said, I'll not let you go. And my father who, I have you in my hand, and I'm not letting you go. And my father has my hand in his hand. And he's not going to let you go. Isn't that something to live for every day? But earlier in this same chapter, chapter 15 of 1 Corinthians 15, Paul tells us clearly that that Jesus Christ was seen after the resurrection. He tells us clearly. Go back up to verse 3, 1 Corinthians 15. For I delivered unto you first of all that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. There was no question that Jesus died. It was well known. It's, It's a historical fact. How that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures and that he was buried and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures and that he was seen of Kephas, that's Peter. And then of the twelve. He was seen of the twelve. After that he was seen of above 500 brethren at once. He was seen. They saw him. Of whom the greater part remain unto this present, but some are fallen asleep, some have gone on to be with the Lord. After that he was seen of James. And then of all the apostles. And last of all, he was seen of me. I saw Jesus. As of one born out of due time. There on the road to Damascus as Saul of Tarsus who was the persecutor of believers of Jesus. And Jesus appeared in a bright light and spoke to him. Why are you persecuting me, Paul? Why do you kick against the goats? And Paul answers him, Lord, we saw him. If you then be risen with Christ, in other words, if this is the case that you are risen with Christ, because the understanding is usually given that sins is the more appropriate term than if, but I believe both are very important here. Even if, remember the connection between chapter 3, verse 1, and chapter 2, verse 12. Buried with him in baptism. You're risen with him through the faith of the operation of God. If you then be risen. That's important to see that connection. It is important to give the evidence of the resurrected life, in other words. 
It is important to give the evidence of a resurrected life. Consider it this way. What good is it for believers in Jesus Christ to declare and to defend the truth of the gospel of Jesus, but fail to give demonstration of it in their lives? What good is it? In writing to Titus, Paul told him this. In Titus 1, verses 15 and 16, 16, he said, Unto the pure all things are pure, but unto them that are defiled and unbelieving is nothing pure, but even their mind and conscience is defiled. But notice verse 16. They profess that they know God, but in works they deny Him. By the very things that they do, they're saying, well, you know, yeah, I, I, I tell you I know the Lord, but by, by, by the things that I'm doing, I'm, I'm denying the Lord, being abominable. That, that word is connected to abomination and disobedient and unto every good work reprobate. What God is calling us as believers in Jesus Christ to do is to live on resurrection ground. What do I mean by that? Well, take, for example, the person of Lazarus who, who was Jesus' friend who happened to die and, and, uh, one day and, and, and his sisters Mary and Martha were, were hoping you know, they could get word to Jesus and word finally got to him. And so Jesus, in, in, his, in his way, took his time to get over to Beth, uh, Bethany so that when he came, the, the sisters came out, if you had only been here earlier, our brother would be here with us. We know what happened. Jesus had him take the stone away from the, from the grave. And he called into the grave, Lazarus, come forth. And the mummy came out. And they pulled on the wrappings and he spun around a while. And he, there he was. Try to make this quick. He was alive. But Lazarus was resurrected on the side of Lazarus's death. Why do I say that? Because we know one other thing. Sometime later, Lazarus had to die again. But we who are believers in Jesus Christ have been raised to newness of life on Jesus' death. And we know one thing about Jesus' death. The grave could not hold him. And he's alive. And therefore we have the promise of resurrection life. My question to you is, are, you, we, are we living on resurrection ground today? Your homework is to read Romans chapter 6 through 8. Let me give you a portion of it here in verses 8 through 14 of chapter 6. Paul said, now if we be dead with Christ... We believe that we shall also live with him. Knowing that Christ being raised from the dead dieth no more. Death has no more dominion over him. For in that he died, he died unto sin once. But in that he liveth, he liveth unto God. You see, we died on the side of Jesus' death. Likewise, and take note of this, verse 11. Likewise reckon you also, or which means count yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body, that, we, that ye should obey it in the lust thereof. Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, 
but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead and your members as members of righteousness or as instruments of righteousness unto God. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under the law, but under grace. So let me conclude by saying lost people, lost people need to see resurrected people living in homes across our land, working in factories or shops or schools and businesses, going here and going there, reflecting the light of the glory of Christ Jesus our Lord. That is the resurrected life, and the lost need to see that. I remember seeing certain people that were believers. I'd never seen life like that before. I grew up in a religious home, but that's all it was, was religion. It wasn't relationship. But the people that I saw reflecting the light of the glory of Christ were having a relationship with Jesus Christ daily because Christ was in them. The life that they now live, they live by the faith of the Son of God who loved them and gave, them, gave himself for them. So let's remember this. We, as believers, are risen with Christ. How much better to to express our Christian life than by trying to observe the ideas and concepts of New Age spirituality, which is just the old lie. It's just the old lie. You shall be as gods. I want to come to the table of communion with this one verse. 2 Corinthians 5.17 Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. All things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new.